and grab a seat. Man, hey, it is the first Sunday of a new year, which means we're going to be starting a brand new sermon series here at Redemption. And it's a series that I'm actually very excited about because it's been transformational and it's just been very important to me what we're going to discuss over the next four weeks. And here's what the title of this sermon is. It is Let Us Worship. Who loves to worship in here? Anybody love to worship? What we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks is developing not only a heart of worship for us as individuals, but also a culture of worship for us here as a church. If you're new, my name is Byron. I get the honor to be able to serve here as the lead pastor. Welcome. I'm glad to have you. And there's a couple of reasons why I think it's important in this season of our church to do this series. There's three reasons before I get to the big reason. And the first reason is this, is we are a Bible preaching church. So over the last six years since we started Redemption, we preached 13 different books of the Bible. Our bread and butter is going straight through books of the Bible. We spent about three years in the book of Mark. We just finished the book of First Peter. We've done the book of Joshua. We've done First and Second Samuel. We've done about 13 books, and we're going to take the next two months to really just do some topical cultural things, to be able to do some housekeeping items, because in Easter, we're starting the book of Acts, and we're going to spend 80 weeks walking verse by verse through the book of Acts. We love preaching through the Bible here. And so before we get into Acts, there is some core value cultural things that we need to get in order. And here's the reason why. First reason, number one, is because our church has doubled in size just last year. We went from an average of about 200 in attendance to last year. We have seen over 400, sometimes 500. Our highest record non-holiday attendance last year was 592. Basically, everybody decided to show up to church on the same day that day. But our church has grown, and as our church has grown, here's what I understand, is that not everybody who comes to redemption is used to the way that we express ourselves in worship. If you come from a traditional background, maybe Baptist, maybe Catholic, maybe Lutheran or Episcopalian, or maybe this is your first time in church ever, you might look at the way that we get excited or the way we worship, the way the team plays, and you know the way that you know, I'm clapping off beat and singing out of tune on the front row, and Trevor's walking up and down here. You might be like, "What? this is weird. This is not normal for me. Why do these people worship in the way that they worship? We're going to talk about that. The other reason is because as our church has grown, there's some people who call Redemption home who wish we would go a little bit further. You wish we would turn our amps up to 11, and you wish we would let you bring your tambourines and banners and flags. And you're like, why can't I bring my tambourine and do my praise dance? Well, you can do that at home, but you can't do that here. And so what I want to do, number one, is to, to talk to my more traditional friends about why we worship the way that we do, and then to my more charismatic friends about why we worship the way that we do. And hopefully by doing that, we can bring everybody all together and we can have this weird, crazy, eclectic, funky church that God is building called Redemption Church. And then the third reason, which is the most important reason, is because it's something that I have become increasingly concerned about over the last few years. And here's what it is, is that there are many people, not you, of course, not redemption people, but there are many people who view worship as entertainment and not as an encounter with a living and holy God. Is that there are many people who are spectators of worship rather than participators in worship. 
And here's the reason why I think that is. It's because the CCM, the Contemporary Christian Music Machine, has realized that worship is a big moneymaker. That worship has turned into a genre of music and not a posture of our hearts. That worship has become a concert rather than an opportunity for us to encounter God. See, the thing is this, is that people worship everywhere all the time, and they realize this, that they can write music, and you can listen to it in your car, and you can listen to it at home. You can listen to it while you're changing your baby's diaper. You can listen to it while you're working out. You can listen to it while you're taking a shower. And because we are constantly inundated with worship music, my fear is we no longer have intimacy with God through worship. Because we're not actually focusing in on genuine worship. We are being entertained by worship, but we are not encountering God in worship. So, you know, you can sing worship songs without actually worshiping God. Did you know that? Like you can sing the melody with your lips, but not actually have the intimacy with God in your hearts. And so my fear is for many people is that worship has become a genre, worship has become a playlist, worship has become a Spotify playlist or a YouTube channel. And so whenever you come into Redemption Church on a Sunday morning, you're sitting in the back being entertained rather than actually having a divine encounter with a living and holy God. That you become spectators at church rather than participators in worship at church. Say, how do I know that? Because there are some people, not you of course, not you, never, never you, but there are some people, I've heard it before, who when they leave church, they say, I just didn't get anything out of worship today. You know, I just, I just they didn't play my favorite song. I, you know, sometimes I get the little Holy Ghost goosebumps, but I just didn't get the spirit fingers today. I, I don't know. There was just something off when I was worshiping, right? Well, here's the thing is that we're not here to worship you. We're here to worship him. Yeah. And that worship is not about you. Worship is for you, but ultimately it is about him. If you're taking notes, write that down. It's going to be the thought that is going to guide the next four weeks. And we're a note-taking church, so pull out your note sheet. Write this down. Is that worship is for you, but ultimately it's not about you because it is about him. We're not here to worship you and your style and your preference or your favorite songs. We're here to magnify, to glorify, and to give honor and praise to our God. Worship is for you, but ultimately it's about him. Okay, listen. Worship is for you. It is for you. Right? Do you know God doesn't need your worship? Do you know that? That God doesn't need it. It's not like he's up in heaven going, oh my me. They're not worshiping me. I'm going to lose my power. No, God is God, whether you worship him or not. Okay, the Bible says this. If you don't worship him, the rocks will cry out. Okay, and I ain't going to let no rock take my place in worshiping God, right? And so God is God. We don't worship him because he needs it. We worship God because we need it. Worship is for you. One of the Greek words for worship is this word, therapo. Turn to your neighbor and say, therapo. Say, where did you go to Bible college at? Redemption Church. You learned some Greek today. It's all Greek to me, but okay. Therapo, here's here's what that word means. It's where we get the word therapy. Because worship brings healing into our hearts, right? Worship, it, it brings healing into our minds, into our minds. Listen, a doctor can treat the body, a counselor can treat the mind, but only God's presence can bring healing to your souls. And so worship is for you. But on the other hand, it's about God, because here's another word, proskuneo. Turn to your other neighbor and say, proskuneo. You know what that means? It means to kiss the feet. 
It literally means to behold, to fall down, to get low. It means to honor, to give reverence. It means to glorify and to ascribe worth to. It is to kiss the feet. And when it comes to worship, people have this backwards idea because sometimes people think that worship is about them and their likes and their preferences and their backgrounds and their upbringings and their traditions and what makes them comfortable. Listen, if that is your idea of worship, you need a proscaneo exam. Examine your proscaneo, right? Because worship is not about you. Worship is for you, but ultimately worship is about him. So over the next four weeks, we're going to learn not only have a heart of worship as an individual, but to cultivate a worship culture here at Redemption. So here's the first sermon in our series, and here's what the title is, How Do I Worship God? Because here's what I've also discovered is that people, they they see it and they understand why we worship. And they also understand like that the way we worship is a little bit different, but they don't actually understand how we worship. Like they have the why, they have the want to, they just don't have the how to. And so what I want to do to start off the series is I want to explain how we worship. Over the last six years, I've taught several sermons. You can go back to our archives on the website, and you can find um, all of our sermons on worship as well. It is one of the core values for us here at the church. And so I've often taught about lifestyle worship and, and worship as a lifestyle. We've talked about the why behind we worship, what happens in worship. But I don't think I've ever actually taught on how we worship biblically. And so I want to take today to kick off this study about how we worship God. And it comes out of a great conversation from the mouth of Jesus himself in John chapter 4, verses 23 through 24. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John 3, 24. And and, and this is a, a message that comes in a greater context. A greater context you might be familiar with is the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And Jesus goes up to her in the middle of the day. She's basically an outcast by both the Samaritans and the Jews. She's in there by herself because she's been with five men and she's living with a man who's not her husband. And and Jesus gives a word of knowledge. And in the middle of that, she changes the conversation as we do when we're convicted. Sometimes we like to change the conversation. And she, she asks this question. She says, well, how are we supposed to worship? The Samaritans, they worship on this mountain, and the Jews worship on this mountain. How are we supposed to worship? And Jesus gives a fascinating answer. And here's what Jesus says. He says, but the hour is coming, and the hour is now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father, how? In spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Redemption Church, we want to be these people. The Father is seeking people who will worship him, Because God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, the Jews and the Samaritans, they were about as opposite as Baptists and Pentecostals. Right? When the the, the Jews, they worship God this way, on this mountain, they had their own translation of the Bible, their own rituals, and their own regulations. But the Samaritans, they were considered half-Jews, and they worshiped God in their own way on this mountain, with their own Bible translation, with their own religion, their own rituals. And and she asks, well, am I supposed to worship like a Jew or am I supposed to worship like a Samaritan? Which one is right? Basically, Jesus says, neither. For those who worship the Father must worship him in spirit and in truth. A little bit backstory on me. I was raised Pentecostal. And when you say Pentecostal, you got to say it like that, like 
Pentecostal. Like I was raised Pentecostal, but not United Pentecostal, like most of you all are familiar with, right? We were what is called classical Pentecostals. We were the OG Pentecostals. United Pentecostals actually broke off of the Assemblies of God about 100 years ago. And, and, and we believed in the Trinity. We, we baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes, we did speak in tongues, but we did not believe it was necessary for your salvation, unlike the United Pentecostals do. And we, we, you know, women didn't have to wear dresses and their hair in buns, and you know, men didn't have to wear suits, and they could actually have a beard. We didn't have the strict holiness standards that the United Pentecostals have, which is actually unfortunate because if you go to other places in America, the word Pentecostal is actually an enduring term. But here in Southeast Texas, it is a negative connotation to many people um, because United Pentecostals are really have a, a stronghold here in Southeast Texas and Southwest Louisiana. But if you go up to New York where we planted a church before, they don't understand anything about United Pentecostals. Everywhere else in America, the term Pentecostal is actually thought of very highly and with a lot of regard and with a lot of respect. And so oftentimes people don't say the word Pentecostal here. They'll say either spirit-filled, full gospel, or charismatic. So Pick your language, pick your word. I was raised spirit-filled, charismatic, full gospel, Pentecostal. And when we would go to church, man, we would worship in the spirits. I remember we would often have tongues and interpretation, prophecy that would go out. Like people would have banners and flags and tambourines and a shofar. If you don't know what a shofar is, praise the Lord, right? If you know, you know, and if you don't, thank Jesus, right? A shofar is a ram's horn that, you know, a little old lady in the front row would bring a ram's horn to church and she'd go, it's time to march in Jericho, march into battle, right? The saints go march in it, right? That, that's, that's what I worship. And people would just be just waving their flags and banners, falling down on the floor, flopping like a fish, right? That was the type of church. When revival would break out, Lord help you because you ain't ever going home. Right, Sunday night church, the altars would be open, people would be slain in the spirit. I remember as a, as a kid, I would actually go up to the front, pretend to be slain in the spirit so I could sleep through the rest of church. Like, and they even had these nice little blankets, they called them modesty blankets, and they would, I would fall down, and then a little old lady would come and she would put a little blanket over me, and I'd just roll over and I would just go to sleep. I would sleep the whole service. I thought I was so slick, right? That was the church that I grew up in. And when I got saved, I went back to that church and I started dating this uh, cute little Southern Baptist girl. Her name's Ashley. We later got married. Ashley grew up completely opposite of me. She grew up truth. She was a truth church. We're a truth church. Southern Baptist, world-renowned Bible preacher out of Houston, Southern Baptist church, singing out of hymnals, going to Sunday school. And whenever me and Ashley went to church together for the first time, I would pray, oh my God, Lord, please do not let anything weird happen. She came to my Pentecostal church and I was just praying, God, don't let nothing strange happen. And it didn't even take through the first song before something weird happened. All of a sudden, as the music dies down, out of nowhere, should have bought a Honda, but instead you bought a Kia. I'm going to teach you how to tie your bow tie. They start praying in tongues, and Ashley looks at me. She's like, what is going on? And I said, just wait. It gets better. Thus saith the Lord, right? There's always the thus saith the Lord person. And they just give an interpretation to the tongue and the altars are open and we are leaving. <laughs> that was what we, we, we grew up in. And, and Ashley, over that time, she learned what it means to worship in spirit. She actually enjoys that. Come to First Wednesday, you'll see her. She loves worshiping in the spirit. But over time, I became increasingly frustrated 
Because I noticed in that church, we would worship in spirit, but the Bible was never taught. Oftentimes, we would have an hour of worship and no sermon. I mean, I literally saw one night where we had a, a prophet lady come in, and she held up and said, this is the word of God. And then she put down her Bible, and she said, now I'm going to give you a word from God. She never picked up her Bible yet again. And she believed that her prophetic words was actually equal to the revelation of God's word through the scriptures. And so there was a lot of spirit, but there was not a lot of truth. Ashley grew up with a lot of truth, but she didn't know anything about the spirit. And that set me on a journey to, to, to learn what truth is. So I just became like a consumer of all things podcasts and books and blogs and articles. And I just dove into Reformed theology. And I just started falling in love with men like Jonathan Edwards and Charles Spurgeon and John Owen. And I would read it because these are men who have just really just dove into the, the treasure trove of truth that is the word of God. But the deeper I dove into that truth, what I discovered is that they don't actually really embrace the spirit. And I found that while I was in the spirit church, I was starved of truth. But as I was in the truth camp, my spirit began to dwindle away. And I knew that there had to be a way that we could have both. That's when I came back to John 4, 24, where he says, those who worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. And so I, I came to this Conclusion, we were planting our church. Me and Ashley, one of the first conversations we ever had as we started redemption is like, what kind of church are we going to be? Like, are, are we going to be a, a spirit church? Or are we going to be a, a truth church? Are we going to be Baptist? Or are we going to be Pentecostal? And then I was like, well, you're Baptist. I'm Pentecostal. Maybe we can be Bapticostal. <laughs> and so people, what, what kind of church is redemption? We are a spirit-filled, biblically-based, Bapticostal church here at Redemption Church. Because here's the truth. is you don't have to choose between spirit and truth. You can have both. Like you can have the reformation and you can believe God for revival. You can understand the imminence of God and you can have intimacy with God. You can sing about God and you can sing to God. You can have exegetical preaching and a divine encounter in worship. You can have the omnipresence of God and you can have the manifest presence of God through the Holy Spirit. You can have both. You can have spirit and you can have truth. They do not need to be reconciled with one another because they are already in love with one another. You do not have to choose between spirit or truth. You can have both redemption. It is not either or. If you've been taught that, I'm here to tell you, you can have both and spirit and truth. Those who worship God, the heart of the Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. You don't have to choose between the two because at redemption, you can have both. You can have spirit and truth. Some things, they just go better together, amen? Like Batman and Robin, peanut butter and jelly, chips and salsa, and socks and sandals. You can have both. <laughs> just seeing if y'all are with me. And so today, here's what I want to do is I, I want to teach you how to worship in spirit and in truth. For, for, for my spirit people, this is important. Because the reality is this, is that our truth people, they can teach us a thing or two about worshiping God. But for you truth people, the spirit people, they can teach you about how to worship God as well. So let me do this. If you were raised like me, 
Spirit-filled, Pentecostal, charismatic. Do me a favor. Where are all my Pentecostals at? Raise your hand. Where's my charismatic people? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay, raise both hands because I know you want to. Shunday. Okay, raise them both up. Raise them high. Raise them up high. Look at all my spirit people. God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. Oh, y'all my people, right? All right, my, 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 my traditional friends, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because I know you don't want to. Makes you uncomfortable. We'll get to that in a little bit. But I want to start off talking about how we worship in spirit. Let's talk about first how we worship in the spirit. Jesus says that we must worship him, first of all, in the spirit. So how do we worship God in spirit? The first thing we do is we worship him by surrendering our hearts. Like, you know it is possible for you to worship God with your lips, but not actually to worship him with your heart. That worship, first and foremost, is a posture of the heart. Worship starts in the heart before it ever moves to a person's hands. And so when we come before the Lord, we need to have a genuine, true heart of worship. Here's what the prophet Isaiah says. He he says this. He says, and the Lord said, because of this, these people, they draw near to me with their mouths and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Like spirit-filled worship is less about what you do with your hands And it's more about what God is doing inside of your heart. See, worship is an overflow of the heart outwardly around you in your life. Like you are just so in love with what God has done. You are so passionate about who God is that he has sent his son to save you, to change you, that he met you and you were in this moment of sin. He forgave you, washed all your sins away, cast them as the east is to the west. He has made you a new creation in Christ Jesus and resurrected you from the dead, translated you from the darkness, and now you are in the light and you are so madly in love with what God has done. It starts in the heart and then it flows out to the rest of your being. But it first starts in the heart. But did you know that there are some people who worship God with their lips, but their hearts are actually far from him? Here's what you need to know. One of my favorite verses or lines comes from A.W. Tozer. He says this, Christians don't tell lies, they sing them. Because oftentimes in worship, we're singing lyrics that we don't actually mean. I mean, think about it. You ever sing that song, you're worthy of it all? Do you really mean that? Is he worthy of it all? Maybe what we should sing is this. You are worthy of some. You're worthy of most. You're worthy of everything except for this one thing. Maybe I surrender all. Do you? We sing I surrender all. Maybe we should be like I surrender some. Some to Jesus. I surrender. I surrender everything except for fill in the blank. Because just like the religious people in the Old Testament, the Pharisees in the New Testament, they honored God with their lips, but they didn't worship God with their hearts. No, 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 not here at Redemption. Even though we may feel unworthy, the reality is, is that he is worthy. And so in his presence, we begin to repent and to lift up his presence and his spirit. We say, God, I'm just so grateful that I serve an amazing God. I worship you. I glorify you. I magnify you. I lift you up above everything else in my life. And God, I pour out my praise to you. I sing to you. I glorify you. God, you are worthy of it all. Lord, all to you I give it. I give everything to you. It starts as the posture of the heart. It starts in the heart first. Spirit-filled worship is about the heart. And some of you say, well, great, then I'm just going to worship in my heart. 
But that moves to the next thing. Jesus says this, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth what? Speaks. Because eventually what's in you comes out of you. What's on the inside goes on the outside. And so if Jesus say, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, then maybe another way we could say it is out of the overflow of the heart, the believer worships. Because that moves us to the next point is that we lift our praise. Starts in the heart and then it moves to the hands. And then we begin to, to lift up our praise. I, I see it all the time. The worship team will be like, all right, church, hey, let's lift our hands in worship. And about 20% of people will do it. And the other rest of the church will go, no, not going to do it. I was going to do it, but now you asked me to do it, and now I'm not going to do it. And we say, hey, let's lift up a shout of praise. And you're like, shouting in my heart. Okay. You're like, Hey, let's, make it, let's, let's worship God with joy. This is my joy face. He's like, okay, well, you love Jesus in your heart. Tell your face. You got the joy, 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 joy down in your heart. Tell your face you got the joy. Right, because you got rest and mean face right now. You ain't got rest and worship face. And so people get uncomfortable when it comes to, to lifting up their praise and worshiping God visibly and expressively. People say, well, that's just not my tradition. That's just not how I was brought up. It's just not, it's just not who I am. Listen, we don't worship you, God the way that you want to worship. We worship God the way that he tells us to worship him. And God doesn't care about your upbringing. He doesn't care about your background. He doesn't care about your preferences. What God cares about is you worshiping him in spirit and in truth the way that he ascribes to be worshiped. I remember I had a friend that... One time on my birthday, they, they brought me, they ate like all sorts of like organic, whole grain, like non-GMO, gluten-free. I'm like, give me all the gluten, please. And one day on my birthday, they brought me a, like an eggplant cake with sugar-free icing. And they're like, happy birthday. And I was like, I, I don't like this. I don't like this. And eventually I actually just stopped receiving gifts from them because I realized they gave me gifts they wanted. They didn't give me gifts I wanted. And there's a lot of times people come and offer God a worship that is not pleasing to him. They offer God a worship that is pleasing to them. But that's not how we worship God. We worship God the way that he tells us to worship God. And repeatedly throughout the Bible, here's what you recognize, is that God loves it when his people get a little loud. God loves it when his people make a joyful noise before the Lord. God loves it when we enter into his courts with thanksgiving and we enter into his gates with praise. God loves it when we lift up a shout of praise. He loves it when you clap. He loves it when you sing. He loves it when you dance. In fact, the Bible tells us to do that. Listen, a living church is a loud church, but a dead church is a quiet church. Right? Someone somewhere taught you, shh, you're in church supposed to take God seriously. And what I think is this, is that they take themselves too seriously and they don't take God seriously enough. Because the reality is this, in the Bible, God repeatedly tells you, make a joyful noise, sing before the Lord, lift your hands in the sanctuary, offer a shout of joy, clap your hands, all you people, make a joyful noise because when we get loud, it reminds us that we are alive. And a quiet church is a dead church because Satan wants to silence your praise. You know, Satan was the original worship leader in heaven. He got cast down. Satan hates worship because it reminds him of his past, his present, and his future. He hates worship. Therefore, he wants to silence your worship as well. But man, when the church gets loud, 
when the church worships, when the church lifts up a shout of praise, God begins to inhabit the praises of his people. Don't believe me? All right, I'll give you some Bible verses because we're Bible people. Let me give you some Bible verses. Psalm 100, one through two, what does it say? Shout with joy to the Lord, oh, all the earth. Worship with gladness, come before him, singing with joy. All right, you could try to sing grumpy, but it's way more fun when you do it with joy. And so let's take a moment and let's do this together. Psalm 47.1 says, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with the cries of joy. Hey, let's just give God a shout of praise right now. All right, you're warming up. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with joy. It means we are to sing, Psalm 47.6, sing praises to God. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. You say, but I'm not good at singing. Okay, don't matter. Okay, because we're not here to sing, we're here to worship. This ain't American Idol, ain't nobody is listening to you. We're all focused on Jesus. This is church. You're like, but I, I just don't sing very well. Listen, my, my daughters, they're, they're, they're five or six and three years old. They don't draw very well, but you know, every single painting they have is hanging up on our refrigerator. Why? Because my heart as a father loves it every single time my kids run to me with something else, right? God is a father. He loves it when his children sing. It ain't about you. It's about him. You say, well, I just don't know the lyrics. Well, if you came to church more often, maybe you would. All right. Here's what we see. Let him praise his name with dancing. Oh, the Baptists get nervous, making music with tambourine and harp. This includes lifting your hands, Psalm 63, 4. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Jesus loves a loud church. And so at Redemption, we believe in practicing what we preach, right? I mean, we don't want to just know the word. We want to do the word because information without application does not lead to any transformation in your life. And so at Redemption, we like to practice what we preach. And so now you're a little bit warmed up. So we're going to have a little praise break up in here. So here's what we do. Everybody up on your feet. And for the next 30 seconds, we are going to worship the Lord right now. We are going to do what the Bible says. Stretch it out. Do your Holy Ghost calisthenics. Let's get ready. All right, here we go. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Shout with God to all the earth. Sing for joy. God our strength. Shout aloud to God of Jacob. Sing for joy. Shout for joy. Let's just praise him right now. Oh Jesus, we thank you. Oh God, we glorify you. You are worthy. You are holy. Oh, we magnify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you guys could go ahead and grab a seat. Doesn't that feel good? Does that just feel good? All right, now that all my traditional friends are like, what kind of church did we just walk into? Like, hey, we're a church who loves to worship in spirit. You're like, I, I thought you told me this was a cool church. Like, why did you bring me here, right? These people are weird, right? Well, you know, the only thing you can expect at Redemption is the unexpected. And so we are a... A spirit church. We love to worship. And listen, a living church is a loud church. I don't care about the Dallas Cowboys Stadium being the loudest fans in the league. What I care about is Redemption Church being the most loud church in Southeast Texas, that we would worship God in spirit. But that leads to number three. Before all my Pentecostals get too excited, number three, we need to humble ourselves when we come into worship. You got to recognize that when you come into worship, we are walking in before a living and a holy God. That even in the Old Testament, there were people who were struck down for worshiping God in ways that he did not deem appropriate. 
Sometimes in the Old Testament, people would bring strange fire, worshiping God in a way that he does not accept, and therefore God rejects what that offering is. When you come before the Lord, you don't worship him the way you want to worship him. You worship him the way he tells you to worship him. And there, we're to worship with respect and with reverence. Here, here's what it says in the book of Hebrews. It says this. It says, therefore, let us be grateful that we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God a worship that is what? Acceptable with reverence and an offer. Our God is a consuming fire. Now, before we get too excited about coming in with all of our exuberance and attitude, we got to recognize that we are also to come in to be humble, that we are entering in before the throne of God. And so we are to come in with, with reverence, and with respect, and with awe, and with wonder as we behold him in all of his glory. And that's a word for my charismatic friends. But, but here's a word for my traditional friends, is that reverence does not mean reservedness. Like, there's a difference, right? So sometimes those who come from more traditional backgrounds more fundamental, you'll say, oh, but we're supposed to have reverence before Lord. Yes, we are, but reverence is not the same thing as reserved. See, to revere means to honor, but to reserve means to withhold. And never in the Bible are we ever told to withhold our worship. No, we are told to pour out our praise. We are told to lift up our voice. We are told to magnify his holy name, to make himself bigger. And the more we pour out, the God begins to pour in. With the measure you used to be measured unto you, the one who has more will be given. The one who has not even what he has will be taken away. We are to pour out all of our lives in glory and honor and worship to Jesus. We are never to withhold anything. We are to honor God with everything. Listen, reserved worship is a learned behavior. Go ahead, find it in the Bible. You say, where is it at in the Bible that, that will teach you that there is a, this, this way that you are supposed to worship quietly, that you can't clap, you can't sing, you can't stand or play instruments, all that stuff. It is not found anywhere in the scriptures. No, instead, the testimony you will find over and over in the scriptures is that people sing with joy, people lift up their hands, people make a joyful noise, they play instruments, and they are exuberant and expressive when it comes to their attitude of worship. Listen, reserved worship is a learned behavior. Someone somewhere taught you according to a tradition. They did not teach you according to scripture. And listen, I don't care what your background is. I don't care what denomination you came from. I don't care what your mama said or his pastor told you, right? Here's what I care about, whatever the word of God says. And so we need to ditch the traditions and we need to stick with the scriptures because it is the scriptures that tell us how we must worship God. How does God say that he wants to be worshiped? First, he says he wants to be worshiped in spirit and to be worshiped in the spirit. So it's number two is that we also to worship God in truth. Okay, so for my charismatic friends, there are some things that our, our truth friends can teach us about worship. So now that I've made all my truth friends uncomfortable, okay, let me go over here and let's have a conversation with my charismatic friends. Did you know this? Charismatics are not known for their theology. That you've placed more emphasis on experience than you have placed your emphasis on knowing God's word. And that's really tragic. And so for the Pentecostal charismatics in this room, I'm glad you can worship in the spirit, but you need to learn from our traditional brothers and sisters about how we worship God with truth. Because we don't want to just enter into God's presence haphazardly. We want to enter into his presence with reverence and with honor. So the first thing we need to know is this, is that when we worship in truth, we're theologically informed. 
You know, God is not honored by your ignorance. God is not honored by biblical illiteracy. Say, well, I listen to worship music 24-7. Do you read your Bible? No? Okay, God is not honored by your ignorance. God is not honored by your biblical illiteracy. Like, we have more tools and resources available to us now than any other Christian in history. And yet what we're seeing is the biblical illiteracy of Christians today is lower than those who couldn't even read 100 years ago. God is not honored by your ignorance. He's not honored by your good intentions. Say, but I had a great experience. Yeah, but can you back your experience up with the scriptures? Because we don't judge God by our experiences. No, we judge our experiences by God's word. And if you have an experience that doesn't line up with the scripture, then you need to reject that experience, number one, as either extra biblical or two, unbiblical. Everything must be submitted under the word. Here's what Paul says. He says this about worship. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. I pray that we would be a church where the word of God dwells richly within us. He says, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. At Redemption, we want to sing songs that are not only inspirational to us, but are also theologically informed. Right? We're not just singing songs willy-nilly because they make us feel good. There is oftentimes that me, I will reject a song. We'll play it on a Sunday. I say, I just don't think I like that song because it doesn't fit with our doctrines corporately. And there are some songs that you want us to sing that might be better suited for you singing in your car, but they're not appropriate for a congregational worship set. Because it's not about what makes us happy. It's about what brings God glory. And all of our lyrics and all of our songs, they are to be rooted in the word of God and be able to be backed up by scripture. Listen, worship is to be based on the word. And the deeper the word gets inside of us, the more passionate we become as we worship God. Like when you read the Bible and you just see how good God is and how truth just continually realigns and just shapes our hearts and our attitudes. When you discover what Christ has done to his death, burial, and his resurrection, when you behold the holiness of God and you savor the goodness of God, all of a sudden it overwhelms with worship because the word is what produces worship in the heart of the believer. And if it's not built on the word, then it's not biblically God-honoring worship. And so our worship must be theologically informed. The second thing is we don't cause distractions. What is, the, what is the point of worship? The point of worship is to put our focus on God, not for people to be looking at you. All right, so we don't want to cause any distractions. Right? People wonder, well, why can't I just bring my flags and tambourines and better? Because you're distracting people. Because now people aren't focusing on God. Now people are focusing on you. They're like watching you pop, lock, and drop it on the front row. It's like <laughs> nobody wants to see that. We want to behold the glory of Jesus. And the more you come in causing a show, causing a performance, causing, you're causing distractions. And so what we want to do is we want to eliminate the distractions. Because you can do that at home. But there's a difference between individual worship and congregational worship. In a congregational setting... It's about beholding Christ and the supremacy of his glory in everything that he does. It's not about you, it's, it's for him. And when you only focus on yourself, what you're doing is you're causing a distraction around the believers who are around you. You say, well, Byron, where, who, who gets you the authority to do that? I'm the pastor. I get to make the rules around here. Because as a pastor, it's my job to protect the flock from things getting too out of hand. In fact, the Bible actually gives proper protocol on what orderly worship is supposed to be like. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 
Paul describes orderly worship. Here's what he says. Within, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. What does he say? Let all things do for the building up. The building up of who? He's talking about a congregational setting. He's not talking about the building up of you as an individual. He's talking about the, the, the gifts as being the building up of the body of Christ. And so you can do that at home, but in the body, when we're all gathered together, it is supposed to bring unity amongst the brothers and sisters. And so in doing that, you're, you're causing a distraction. He's actually rebuking the church of Corinth for making it about them and not making it about him. See, he says this a little bit later. He goes, listen, there's non-believers in your church every single Sunday. Every single Sunday, there are non-Christians who come to Redemption Church. And what are they going to think if everybody's running around speaking in tongues and prophesying and preaching over one another with banners and flags and tambourines dancing around and falling on the floor and screaming all the time? They're going to think, these people are crazy. I'm never coming back to this church again. These people are wild. Like, I, I don't want it. And so what he says is that on a Sunday when the church is gathering, first Wednesday is a different story, but on a Sunday when the church is gathering together, there is a way in which it's done to be proper in order. See, our truth people, they understand this, don't they? Our truth people, that's why they get a little nervous about, they're like, how much excess is this going to get into? I mean, our spirit people, they're like, hey, why are you putting a seatbelt on me? Why are you limiting what, what I can do? Listen, spirit and truth. Because here's what he says next. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, 40, he says, but all things should be done decently in order. What things? Well, in verse 39, he says, do not neglect. Well, here's what he says in verse, he, he says this. He says, my brothers earnestly desire prophecy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So you can have truth without rejecting the spirit. And then he says, you can have the spirit but don't forget about the truth. What is, what is Paul doing? He's trying to get the Corinthians to understand is that you don't have to choose either or, you can still have both and. You can have spirit and truth, but it must be done in a way that is in a biblical order. And how do we do that? We don't cause distractions to others. Listen, I'm glad that you are passionate, but I don't want your passion to end up becoming a distraction and robbing somebody else. But here's the reality, as a pastor, I would rather have a moment of correction than a church with no passion. I would rather correct somebody with a, with, a, with, with, with a distraction than have a church that is filled with zero passion. Because I can teach wisdom, I can't teach passion. I can give wisdom, but I can't give somebody passion. That only comes from the Lord. And I would rather have a passionate church with a little bit of correction, if you can take it, than to have a church with no passion and no correction. We, we do it to not cause distractions, which leads to the last and the final point is that we worship in truth. Why? So that way we can encourage others. Here's what the book of Hebrews says. He says this, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the day more as you see the day drawing near. Why do we worship together on a Sunday? Like you could be doing this at home. Like you could be worshiping on the beach. You could be worshiping out in the woods. You could be sitting in your car. You could be doing this in the shower right now. Like why do we get up on Sunday mornings, drive downtown the 15 or 20 minutes, check our kids in? Why do we sit here and do what we do every single week? Why is this important? If you can listen to CCM music in your car, if you can have your favorite Spotify playlist, and you can watch your favorite pastor on YouTube, why do you come to church here? Why don't you just sit at home and do 
do it. Why? Because there is something special that happens when God's people gather together in God's presence. Our truth people, they know this. They know the value of being in the house of the Lord. They understand the importance of congregational worship. They understand what it means to sit under the word of God rightly divided as it pierces between the joints and the marrow and it begins to overflow with an exuberance of an understanding with the Lord. Why do we come together? Here's what Hebrews says. Because in doing so, we are encouraging one another. That whenever I watch you worship, I want you to know, church, I am encouraged. Like, isn't it encouraging when you're standing there after a long week and a hard week? You're like, I don't know what I'm going to do in college, right? Everything's starting back up again, and I'm in my final semester, and the classes are getting harder, or I'm a single mom trying to take care of two kids, or maybe this is my first time. I haven't been to church in 10 years, or maybe you've got financial issues, and you're just been beat down so much by work, and you're sitting there, and it took every ounce of energy for you to walk in the room that morning, and when you walk in the room, the person next to you is hands lifted up. Oh God, I glorify you. I magnify you, God. I'm worshiping you right now. What happens in your heart right there? All of a sudden, your heart begins to be filled a little bit more. You get a little bit more passion. You get a little bit more encouraged. You always leave church feeling better than you were whenever you walked in. Isn't it true that you walk in weak and you leave strong? You walk in with heavy hands and you leave with lifted hands. Why? Because the spirit in you meets the spirit in me. And then God begins to pour out his presence and it begins to lift one another up. It begins to encourage one another. Because if God can do it for you, then God can do it in my life. And when my faith is weak, I'm going to look to you and I'm going to borrow a little bit of your faith because you build me up. You encourage me. Worship ain't about me. Worship is about him. And as we as a church come together, here's what the Bible says, that he begins to pour out his presence and that God rejoices over us with dancing, loud noises, and songs. That he inhabits the praises of his people. Something happens. You can't get this in your car. You can't get this at home. You can only get it whenever we're all gathered together and we do not neglect the assembling together, but rather we encourage one another with our worship. know that your worship is a witness to the person next to you. Say, it's not about you, but man, when I worship God, it is building the faith in the person next to me as well. It's inspiring. Your worship is inspiring. So don't stay home and rob your neighbor of worship. Instead, rather, as we start this year off, make it a priority to be in the house of the Lord and worship God together. You know why? Because we are better when we worship together. We're just better. It doesn't just feel better. Like, isn't it amazing when you leave on a Sunday morning and you're just always just a little bit stronger than you were the day before? It's like it's a first Wednesday night and you've been working all day. You've got your kids from daycare. You ran them to soccer practice and you still got time to make it here at 7 o'clock. And you're like, I'm so tired. It's a first Wednesday, but yet what happens when you walk out of here? You're just filled with a little bit more strength, aren't you? Like when I wake up on Monday mornings, I feel stronger than I did on Saturday afternoon. Why? Because, because you encourage me. And we encourage one another. And that's why it's important for us to worship in spirit. Why it's important for us to worship in truth. So here's what we're going to do is the band's going to lead us in a song in just a moment. But here, here's what I want to say. 
One of the main reasons why people don't feel confident in worshiping in spirit and truth. I know they want to, now you know how to, but there's still something that is holding you back. And, and, and I asked on Instagram, and I see this all the time here. Here's the number one reason that people feel like they cannot worship this way. You know what the number one reason is? Because they're worried about what the person next to them is gonna think. But you know, the Samaritan woman, she was also worried about what other people were gonna say about her too. Because remember, she was rejected by the Samaritans and she was rejected by the Jews. She was like, how do I supposed to worship God? And here's what Jesus said, don't worry about what people think, worship in a way that's pleasing to him. Right? Don't worship about, don't worry about what people are gonna think about you when you worship God in a way that is pleasing to him. Stop worrying about the person next to you. Stop worrying about your tradition. Stop worrying about your background. I mean, whenever I talk to my Catholic friends who are coming to church, oftentimes here's one of the things that they say. They're nervous to get baptized. They're nervous to lift their hands. They're nervous to become members because they're worried about what their parents are gonna say. Because there's a fear of man that is preventing them from exercising their faith in God. And Jesus says to the Samaritan woman, listen, don't worry about what people think. Worry about pleasing God. And so when we're going to go into worship in just a moment, we're going to lift our hands and we're going to sing and we're going to shout for joy and we're going to praise the Lord. And if you want to, to step out of the aisle and come down front and lift your hands, maybe it's the first time you've ever done that. That's free. I want you to be able to do that. I want you to lift your hands and I don't want you to worry about your upbringing. I don't want you to worry about the tradition. I don't want you to worry about the person next to you. I don't want you to worry about how well you sing because Jesus has an auto-tune in heaven. If he can understand the tongues of men and angels, that he can take that voice, he can auto-tune it to sound perfect pitch, all right? And so we're gonna lift our hands and we're gonna worship and we're gonna sing to the Lord, why? Because God is seeking worshipers who worship him, how? In spirit and in truth. So everybody stand up right now. Let's give praise to God right now in this place. Oh God, we glorify you. Oh God, we magnify you. We lift up your name. We offer a shout of praise before our King. You are holy, you are worthy, you are good, and we glorify you in all that we do. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's worship God. <laughs> 